Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Um, happiness is actually more progressive than instantaneous. It's more about sowing and reaping. And the truth of it is, is that if you confuse happiness and pleasure, you can get into a real problem because if you prioritize pleasure over happiness, you'll get, but you'll, you'll get neither. But if you it, it prioritize happiness over pleasure, you'll end up with both. And so I want to, um, I want to end you, I want to end this series with, uh, with a thought from the apostle Paul, just a quick, um, a quick historical, uh, context of this. Paul's writing this letter from prison. Now that can sort of roll off the tongue like, oh yeah, Paul was in jail when he wrote this, but hang on a second, let me explain. In the first century, there was no such thing as criminal prisons. If you committed a crime, um, they had some sort of public corporal thing where they beat you or tied you to horses and drug you. Well, they, they did crazy, crazy stuff. If you were in prison in first century Rome, it wasn't that you were a criminal, you were an enemy of the state. You were convicted of treason and you're going to die. The only prisons in Rome were death penalty, sort of death row things. And they didn't feed you because their logic was you're going to die anyway. And so you had to have your friends or family feed you. The problem with that is, is that Paul's not from Rome. And so turns out there was this group of people from Philippi that out of all the churches Paul started, they sent this guy named Epaphroditus to feed him, clothe him, give him blankets, basic medicine, things like this. And he's writing a letter back to them, essentially saying, thank you for doing that or I would be dead. And so he's chained to a wall being tortured under the authority of a guy named Nero. Now Nero was a particular narcissist. Nero made made every person on earth call him with two words, curios and soter, Lord and Savior. Even his wife, they found letters. His wife wrote him saying, my Lord and Savior, I beseech you. And if he ever wrote you back, he would say, your Lord and Savior compels you. Under the reign of Nero, there was all over the Roman Empire, lots of forced Olympic style games where you would have to go in honor of Nero, where they would force you to stand and basically pledge allegiance to our Lord and Savior Nero. Now in this context, Paul's chained to a wall being tortured on a daily basis. He eventually in 63 AD dies by the death penalty. Nero had a particular ritual that he would do with Christians. He would take a wooden stick and he would impale you with it, trying to go through both orifices. If you're a real masochist, you can Google images of that. He would then, he, he would then cover you in tar and set you on fire to keep his backyard alight. So if you've ever had the thought, man, this world's crazy these days. No, that was crazy. We're a bit better than that now. Um, so, um, Paul is, is writing under this circumstances. And it's in those circumstances that's very inspiring. Like if you read Philippians from the beginning, this is how he starts it. He says, grace and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This this is not a bullet point for a pamphlet to be believed in. This is a guy chained to a wall, knowing they're going to censor the letter by a guy who forces the world to call him Lord and Savior. And he starts his letter, grace and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not a bullet point for a pamphlet. This is an up yours Nero. You're not going to get the last word here. And if you read to the end of the letter, here's how he ends it. All the saints in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So you're like, like this would have been an unbelievably uh, controversial um, uh, oppression standing sort of letter. And he says some really inspiring things in it. He's like, if God started it, he'll complete it. 
Hey, this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my... Hey, stand firm against your enemies for what might look like your destruction will actually be your salvation. With God, all things are possible. Paul is so inspiring. And in chapter two, he switches gears and he starts talking about how we should interact with each other given our embracing of the cross. Because the cross and resurrection should not be something we believe in, like a a bullet point that we affirm on a pamphlet. The cross and resurrection should be more profound than that. The cross and resurrection should not simply be something we believe in. The cross and resurrection should be an event that fundamentally shifts the way we see our whole world, right? And and then he he says this, it's a famous quote. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we, we just quote that all the time without looking. He, he actually gives several thoughts after that as to what that looks like. Work out your own salvation with, tra- with, with fear and trembling. And, and then here is his first thought. This is the next verse. I, 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 and I want to spend the entire morning talking about this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is the power of God that does good things, right? And watch this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, let's just stop right there. <clears throat> could be the shortest sermon you ever hear. Could, could we agree together that there's enough food for thought and enough challenge in that one sentence for the next week? Right? Paul says, hey, you, you want to work out salvation? You want, you want to be happy? Well, uh, uh, well, a common decision would be that we make a decision to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now let's give that its full 30 seconds of meditation and do. How have we done with that today? This week, this month, all things without grumbling or disputing. In in an earlier letter, Paul says it this way in Romans 14. Never, ever, 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 ever quarrel over a disputable matter. (laughs) And then he he calls all things disputable. The the principle is don't quarrel. Essentially, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whether it's Sabbath or holy days or eating or whatever, unless it's Jesus is the Christ, he was crucified, the resurrection's true. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Never, ever quarrel on that. And then in, in, in Romans 14, 23, he says, whatever faith you've come to in Jesus on disputable matters, keep it between yourself and God. The, the actual Greek there is shut up, right? All things without grumbling and disputing. Now, I have three thoughts for the Bible nerds, because I'm a Bible nerd. So I have three thoughts for the Bible nerds, and then and then I have another segment of the message. First, I can read that in Greek, and the word all there is actually all. But Shane, my husband's an idiot. I know. I know him. All. You mean that guy that would gladly die for you if an intruder came in your house tonight? That guy, let's call it even. Oh, but shame my wife. Yeah, I know. I know. I know her. I know. You mean that woman that would gladly stand with you if everybody else left that one? Let's call it even. Oh, but shame. They said something I disagree with. I know. I know. Oh, but shame. It was about the Bible. I know. I know, it's amazing to me. Tell, please, 
please connect with me on this. Tell me I'm not the only person in the room that throws up in their mouth when two Christians air an argument about the Bible on the internet. Come on. It's ironic, isn't it? That in the name of the Bible, they'll violate the Bible to prove their point about the Bible. Leave the preachers alone, hey? Let me take, listen, let me tell you what preaching is. Preaching is spending 12 hours with four researchers putting together a talk that's going to take 40 minutes to deliver only to be potentially eviscerated on the internet by a nameless, faceless coward sitting behind a keyboard who hasn't spent 10 seconds thinking about it. Yes. All. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Like, if nothing else, Christians should be known as the group of people who don't argue amongst themselves, who don't complain a lot. How are we doing with that? Like, let's just be, let's just be honest for a second and at least ask the question, how have we presented ourselves to the world in this way? And then Paul uses some really serious language. Uh, watch this. That you may be blameless and innocent. Really? Is Paul tying our blamelessness to our basic disposition when we don't get our way? Children of God, another serious word. In the midst, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, amongst whom you shine like stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, I'm fixing to die. I'd love to know I didn't waste my life. And one of the ways I'm going to know that is that you do all things without grumbling or disputing. Part of being happy is simply making a choice that I'm going to get through whatever this is without grumbling or disputing. Now, three thoughts for the Bible nerds. One, all means all. Second, Paul is a first century rabbi who's memorized the Bible up to that time. And he's using specific uh, quotes from the Old Testament to make his point. Now, I'm going to show you these because I'm not going to go through them. I'm just going to show you these in the references because if you're a Bible nerd, you'll study it later. If you're not, you're going to forget about it anyway. But let me just let me just show it to you. <clears throat> Grumbling is a reference to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14. Blameless and pure is a reference to Genesis 17. Warped and crooked generation is a reference to Deuteronomy 32. That's when Moses is like, you know what? God's done all this for you and you're still complaining. You're no longer children of God. You're a warped and crooked generation. Um, Daniel 12 is the reference to shine like stars. Run in vain is a reference to Isaiah 65. Now, if you're thinking, Shane, so what? What does that have to do with anything? Let me explain. These are ex these are quotes from the Exodus story. Let me explain the Exodus story in one statement. Here it is. Here it is. Ready? The Exodus story is there was a group of people that did nothing to earn it and nothing to deserve it. But God in his kindness reached out to them and saved their life and moved them from slavery to freedom. And then subsequent to that, that same group of people complained about things less important than that. That's the story. Now, does that sound like anything? Is that something like anybody you know, right? Do you know of any group of people that God reached out to despite them doing nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, and God saved their life only subsequent to that for those same people to complain about things less important than that? This is us. This is me and you and them. And this is what Paul is saying. Let, let's summarize it this way. Next slide. <clears throat> Paul's essentially saying, don't be like the freed Israelites and grumble. Rather, you could shine like stars. Essentially, let me just say it this way. God saved their life and they grumbled. God has saved your life. 
you can make a better choice than that. You can shine like stars. Like we, we, we use language like we should be light in our world. Yes. What does that mean? Well, I think the first thing that means is to make a decision to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And let me remind you that in the first century to be a Christian in Philippi, that was a bad world. People go, oh, this world's getting bad. What? No, that was craziness. You lived under the threat of impaling and being set on fire. That was crazy. And Paul's still saying, no, you can do all things without grumbling or disputing. You can shine like stars. So three thoughts for the Bible nerds. First thought, all means all. Second thought, this is an, this is an application of the Exodus story for, for them. And I think for us third, I love words. So let me show you the Greek word translated grumble. This is really cool. Next slide. The Greek word translated grumble is the word gong I love that word, right? So I'm going to say it slowly. Gong gizmon. This is a Greek word that gets translated grumble, but it is a musical metaphor. It's a gong. It's an out of place symbol. It's a common metaphor in Paul's writings. So what if you understand the mysteries of eight heavens? If you have not love, you are a clanging symbol. The the principle is this. I don't know music. I know when it sounds good. I know when it doesn't sound so good. This sounds good. Uh, Here's what I can tell you. You can have the best singer in Livermore standing here next to the best guitar player in Livermore next to the best keyboard player. You could even have Ray Romano on the keyboards. You notice that he looks just like Ray Romano. I was like, what is happening here? Ray Romano's on the keyboard. You can have Ray Romano on the keyboard, standing next to the best singer in in Livermore, standing next to the best guitar player, and it doesn't matter if the drummer's awful. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a musician who is good enough to overcome a drummer who's just arbitrarily crashing cymbals out of beat. And we've all been in church long enough to see this awkward thing happening where the musicians are playing one song and the drummer's playing another. And it's like, and there's no choice. You have no choice in that moment but to start the song over. No choice. There's no recovering from that. That's what grumbling is. Grumbling is when you refuse to play your part in the song and you just start making as much noise with our mouth as humanly possible. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. New Beginnings Church is a song. Your family's a song. Your business is a song. Your neighborhood is a song. It's a song. And all songs require all of us to play our part. And at New Beginnings Church, you should find your part and you should play it with all of your heart. But if you cannot find your part, you have two choices. One, sit the song out. Or two, make as much noise with your mouth, arbitrarily clanging cymbals as hard as you can out of beat and make everybody start over because of our selfishness. If you're the type of person who can only remember one line from a sermon. Here you go. Be a part of the song and never a gong. Be a part of the song and never a gong. That's what you, you, you want to find your place in the song and play it. But if you can't, if you can't find that place, at least be humble enough to sit the song out. Because the last thing you want to do is make everybody start their song over because you're arbitrarily crashing cymbals. When we grumble, that's what we're doing. We're an out of place drummer. That's what, that's what's happening. We're an out of place drummer. Now let me tell you what grumbling not. Grumbling is not presenting a problem where you've already brainstormed five solutions to make it better. That's called leadership. Grumbling is just arbitrarily just pointing out everything going wrong with something. Grumbling is, you know what grumbling is. It's gong. It's gong. So three thoughts for the Bible nerds. One, all means 
all. Second, this is an application of the Exodus story to the church at Philippi and I think to us. And third, grumbling is an out of place symbol, which leads me to this. There's an old parable. It's an ancient rabbi parable. It's not in the Bible, but it is told by rabbis to help us understand the Bible. I I love it. Here's Here's the way it goes. It says, as the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, there were walls of water being held back on both sides. And as they were crossing the Red Sea, one slave noticed a piece of mud that got between his toes. And he says to his mate on on, on the right, he says, hey, I've got a piece of mud in between my toes. And this thing started to gain some traction. And what happens is, is the two slaves got so focused on the one piece of mud between their toes that they lost sight of the walls of water on both sides being held back for their redemption. Which leads me to this question. Have we ever been guilty of focusing on the one piece of mud and losing sight of all the good things God is up to in our world? Christians should be the people pointing out all the good stuff God is up to instead of pointing out the one or two pieces of mud going on. Like when I hear Christians go, oh, Shane, can you believe how bad this world's getting? What are you talking about? Read a history book. Listen, name one thing that's going worse today than 400 years ago. Other than pollution, you can't. You you just can't can't. Why? Because the world's getting better, not worse. Listen, Christianity 101 is this, is that God is at work in the world, fixing it and making it better and bringing salvation and redemption to all things. That's the whole thing. The question is, is do we believe God's doing a good job or not? Let, let, Let me explain this way. Let me give you a question that you cannot possibly know the answer to. Let me tell you about my money. I have 500,000 US dollars in the bank and I have zero debt. Am I winning or am I losing? The answer is you can't possibly know because I've only given you a plotted point. You can't judge success on a plotted point. You have to judge success on a trajectory line. So what if I said, let me tell you the whole story. I inherited $110 million from my rich uncle and I'm an idiot and I'm down to my last 500,000. Am I winning or am I losing? I'm losing. But what if I started with nothing and I ended up, now I've just crossed the $500,000 point. Am I winning or losing? I'm winning. So two people can be at the exact same plotted point and one be winning and one be losing because you don't judge success on plotted points. You judge success on trajectory lines. And on the trajectory line, this world is getting better and better and better and better and better and better. Now listen, this is earth. Are there a couple pieces of mud? Yes. If you woke up this morning in Aleppo, that is not good. If you woke up this morning in Livermore, that is way better, right? Right, right? Like if if you woke up this morning as a woman under extremist Islamic rule, That's a problem. It's a problem. It's a piece of mud. But man, you could look at the water everywhere else and this world's getting better and better and better and better and better. Why? Because the spirit of God is at work in this world, fixing it, and he is doing a really flipping good job at it. If you're not convinced, let me prove it. It's just straight data. Life expectancy. Life expectancy in Jesus's day was 32 By 1550, it had ballooned to 37. 
1850, it was 43. 1925, we started living to 50, but that was only in the Western world. Global life expectancy did not cross 50 years old until 1948. That's in my father's lifetime. Now we're living into our 80s. Is God done redeeming long life? No. Is it better? Yes. Yes. Medicine, better, which is why we're living longer. Okay, would you rather have dental work today or in 1950 or in 1850? Today, they can numb your entire mouth with a well-placed shot of Novocaine behind your jaw before they drill into your tooth nerve. Today, they numb your whole mouth with Novocaine. 1850, they numbed your mouth with whiskey. Novocaine is better. Is God done redeeming dental health? No. Is it better? Yes. Would you rather have a colonoscopy today? Or in 1950? Oh, hello. Or 1850, when they just sort of looked around. It's better. It's better. It's just better. Are you kidding me? Would you rather be a woman today or 1950? That's not even, that's not hard at all. Or 1850. Is God done redeeming women's rights? No. Is it better? Yes. Would you rather be black today or 1950? Or 1850. Is God done? No. Is it better? Yes. Yes. Okay, violence. According to the World Health Organization, 2014 was the most peaceful year in the history of the world. It wasn't even close. You should see the graph on it. Less deaths because of war. You should see the graph on this. They graphed deaths because of war from 1300 till now. And it just does this. 1941, big blip, okay? I'll let you figure out what that was. But the 1941 blip did not get back to 1,300 levels. Big blip and then big down. And then if you look at it, if you look at today's deaths because of violence compared to 13, you can't even see it on the graph. Is God done redeeming peace? No, is it better? Yes. The murder rate in Europe, murder rate in Europe in 1,400 was 100 murders to 100,000 people. Today it's one. It's literally a hundred times more peaceful and people are still going, oh, can you believe how bad this world's getting? Hey, anybody want to go to the public hanging tonight for entertainment? No, why? Because we don't do that anymore. Why? Because that's insane. Hey, hey, anybody want to go to the public disembowelment of the village betrayer? No, why? Because we don't do that anymore. Why? Because it's insane. In the 1600s, British priests were cutting women's ears off in public as a deterrent to lust and adultery in order to save their souls for eternity. Come on. We're better than that now. We just gossip on Facebook. It's a little bit better. It's a little bit better. You're kidding me right now. Why? Because of the rise of democracy. In 1800, there was two democracies in the world. Now there's 90. For the first time in the history of the world, the common man has a say in government. Is God done redeeming it? No. Is it better? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Money. According to the World Health Organization, 92% of the world 
was living in poverty in 1820. By today's definition of poverty. Now it's more like 16%. And by 2025, they're, they're predicting it'll be for the first time in the history of the world below 10%. Is God done redeeming poverty? No. Is it better? <laughs> yes, way better. Look, we have so much excess money. According to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 21, the generation turning 21 now has more money at the age of 21 than the previous four generations before it combined had. And all you got to do is speak to them. You'll figure that out. Talk to a 19-year-old. And then and then ask, did I talk like that at 19? No, you didn't. Why? Because you didn't have any money. You were eating ramen noodles, right? <clears throat> They're heading by five guys four times a week, right? Talk to a 19-year-old. You're, hey, what are you up to? You know what I'm thinking about doing? I'm a bit bored. You know what I'm thinking about doing? I'm thinking about taking three months off, walking around Europe. Mm-hmm. Who's got that kind of money? Evidently they do. I'm 42. We didn't think about that. My parents definitely didn't think about that. My grandparents wouldn't have known where to get a passport from. Listen, we have so much extra money that I have seen at least five of these since I've been here in two days. There are businesses in Livermore where people make a full-time wage massaging people. That's a lot of money. We have so much extra money, we can pay people $60 an hour to rub our shoulders because they feel tight. That's a relatively new privilege. Listen, we have so much extra money that there is someone in Livermore this week making a full-time wage, right? Permanently removing women's facial hair. My great grandmother didn't have that. You should have seen him. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> you imagine if your great great grandfather came back from the dead and lived with you for two days, and and here was your task. You had to convince him the world's harder, the world's worse. Could you imagine that? Hey, great granddad, it's good to see you, man. It's good to see you. I've heard some stories. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how bad our world's got. You wouldn't understand. You know? Could you, could you imagine just the things in your house you'd have to explain? What's that? That's a car. What's that do? Takes us wherever we want to go. It's 75 miles an hour on a paved road. Huh. What's that? It's a tap. What's that do? Brings clean drinkable water into our house under pressure. What's that? That's the hot water, right? You bring hot water, yes. What's that? That, granddad, that's toilet paper. (laughs) It's awesome. We're going to recommend you use it. We saw you collecting tree bark. Not necessary. We have toilet paper now. And actually in Japan, they found that there was too much toilet paper in their sewer system. So they invented toilets that pressure wash your butt. No toilet paper in Japan. You finish, you hit a button, and that thing says, (laughs) and then dries you. I want to fly through there just to try that. That sounds awesome. It'll be here in about 20 years. It'll be fine, right? What's that? That's a pharmacy. What's that do? Sells pills. For what? 
Everything. That, that, that pill, if you have a headache, it'll take a headache away. That, that pill is, is for if you're going to be in an awkward situation and you don't want to have to go to the bathroom, um, you could take that pill and it will purposely constipate you. <laughs> could you imagine telling your grandmother that you want to be purposely constipated? That generation loved going to the bathroom. They're always on about it. Have you went to the toilet today? Right, right, right. What's that pill? That's for when you want to get unconstipated. Like our world is so convenient and so awesome. Now, let's be honest. This is earth. This is earth. Are there a couple pieces of mud? Yes, there are. Let's be honest about them. If you woke up today in Aleppo, which none of us did, that's bad. A woman under extremist Islamic rule, that's bad. That's a, that's, that's a piece of mud. But that doesn't negate all the good. Christians should be the one going, look at all this good stuff going on. Look at what God's doing in this world. It's awesome. It's awesome. There's this one guy I was talking about this once. And, <clears throat> you know, there's always that one guy, you know, or that one person, you know, in a room that, that listens to everything you say for 45 minutes. And then they write down the one thing that, that they think is wrong and they point it out at the end, you know. And so this guy come up, he, and he was doing it sort of funny, but he wasn't funny, you know. He's like, hey, Shane, hey, Shane, if the world's getting better, how come the divorce rate's going up, huh, huh? Huh? How come the divorce rate's going up? Huh? Huh? Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. The divorce rate is in fact going up, right? Actually, in the last 20 years, it's sort of going down a bit, but that's just because less people are getting married. So, but let's, but let's go with, let's go with this premise. The divorce rate is going up. Marriage rates are going down. That's a fact. It is a piece of mud. It's not nice. It's true. But he says, why are we, why is the divorce rates going up? Why, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? So why is the divorce rate going up? Obvious. We're living longer. <laughs> Duh. When you died at 32, till death do us part was more doable. <laughs> now you look at him and you're like, I got to live with you to 84. No way. That's like saying the world's getting worse because we have more skin cancer. Of course we do. We have 50 years longer for our skin to do jacked up stuff. <laughs> Which leads me to this. Why do we grumble then? Why is, why is our default button to find the mud? I think if we can understand this, we can overcome it. Next, next slide. Let's, let's talk about this. I, I think we grumble when we forget to remember. We forget to remember our nation's awesome. I travel the world. This nation's awesome. When I hear Americans complaining about America, let me be blunt. Where are you going to go? I tra- if, listen, let me be very blunt. If you can't make it here, bro, where are you going to go? We live in a nation with motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackage food for us, clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class health care right down the road, laws that protect the weak against the strong. This is America, man. We forget to remember our life is awesome. Our life is awesome. Like, for mo- let's just admit this for five seconds, even if it doesn't last. Let's just admit this, that if God never did one more thing for any of us, our life's pretty good. Like, okay, um... Our, our health's a gift. Hey, I woke up this morning without a chemotherapy appointment. 
Well, that's awesome, right? Hey, our transportation, I fly every week of my life, every week. And you know what? You know what? I've seen in airports, people complain and grumble over 20-minute flight delays. Can you imagine your great-grandfather? What? It took me six months to get there on a boat, and I just hope we didn't all die of scurvy. And you're fixing to get in the most technologically advanced piece of machinery ever invented in the history of the world for transportation. They're going to fly you at 36,000 feet, 600 miles an hour. You can fly from Oakland to New York in five and a half hours while digitally streaming on-demand movie content. And at the push of a button, a nurse or a stewardess is going to bring you a free Coke. And you can still complain? Come on. How unshining is that? Oh, and by the way, if you're interested, Richard Branson has invented a plane that can go Sydney, Australia to Dallas in an hour. (laughs) I'm in. I'm in. I'm not on the first one. No, no. No, no. No, no. They have to do that about a thousand times. Once they do it a thousand times, I'm in. Here's the thing, in case you're interested. It doesn't fly faster. Uh Uh-uh, flies higher. Uh, Because the world is round. (laughs) If you fly at 96,000 feet instead of 36,000 feet, your relative ground speed is 10,680 miles an hour. (laughs) Yeah, you can go anywhere in the world an hour. (laughs) They got to figure out how to come down from there without people's heads blowing off. (laughs) But... (laughs) They'll, 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 they'll figure it out. It's awesome. Our homes. Hey, if you live in an average home in Livermore, you're living like a king used to. Like indoor plumbing. And, hey, hey, our medicines, our water, our power, our bu- literacy rates in Jesus' day, 3%. It's just, it's better. Next slide. We, we grumble, we forget to remember the story's larger. We focus on the mud and miss the water. The story of the world is bigger than the 40 years you remember. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than the small sample size. Let, let, let's say it this way. Next slide. I think we grumble when we think we need more or compare ourselves to what others have. When we look right and left instead of in and up to get our value. And the problem in America is, is that places like America, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, uh, London, affluent places like that. The problem is, is that when we look right and left instead of in and up, there's nowhere to look except for the richer people. And what happens is, is, is the richest 7% of the world. By the way, if you own a car, even if you're making payments on that car, you're in the richest 7% of the whole world. And that's just one car. If you own two, so, so you have the richest 7% of the world splitting hairs over how that goes. And there's something about it in the world. You know, they go, why are you arguing about that? What are you talking about? And I think it comes from something you've dealt with earlier in the series. And that is that the idea that there's something outside of me that'll make me more at peace or more happy. And there, there's nothing. Let, let, let's say it this way. Next slide. I will have peace and contentment or happiness at some unknown point in the future. That's just a lie. The, 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 the philosophical word for that is the lie of the sacred object. It's, if I, there's something outside of me that if I just attain it, I'll feel more like God, more at peace, more happy. It's just a lie. It's a, it's a lie. Like, oh, if I just lose this weight, I'll feel happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. And let me be clear. If you need to lose 30 pounds, please do, right? You need to, right? Honestly, a lot of good benefits to that. 
for your, for your joints, for your metabolism, for your blood pressure, for your heart, for like all kinds. Look, if you need to lose, losing 30 pounds, if you need to lose 30 pounds is a good thing to do. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. You'd just be a 30 pound lighter version of your discontented self. It just doesn't work like that, right? Or, or when I meet that person, oh, oh, Pastor Shane, I, pray for me to meet, meet my wife. You know, I've got my list, you know, I just, if I just meet, if I just meet the right person, I'll be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. No, you will not. Absolutely. No way. No way. Why? You, okay. All right. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. The world is filled with happy marriages that was forged between two miserable single people that you, you've heard that story lots, you know, like, man, we hated our life. Whoa. And then we met each other, got married and it fixed everything. No, marriage doesn't fix problems. Marriage magnifies problems. If I got this raise, you know, you won't, you won't. This is just straight science. If you make 60,000 bucks a year, $60,000 a year as a combined family income, more money does not buy more happiness. It doesn't, absolutely does not. Now, if you make 30 and get a raise to 60, it does buy a bit more happiness. It does because there's necessities and innocent, but from 60,000 to 60 million, no more happiness. It's just a bit more security and a bit more fear about losing what you have. And there's, there's a lot of that, right? So, so, hey, more money is a good thing to have. I hope you get it. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Same with that house, that car. It's just, there's, there's not a magic, there, there's not a car that's magically nice enough to make you feel better. It's just, if you're, it's, it's good, but if you're not enough without it, you'll just never be enough with it. Let's say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we feel God has shorted us. And, and if we don't sort that out, I think everything else is, is, it doesn't matter. Like the idea that God has been good to me. And I don't want that to sound like a cliche, like God is good all the time. Right? No, no. I, I, I mean more profound than that. Like a deep internal conviction that if God never did one more thing for me, he's been good. He's, yeah, it's been, my life's, it's, it's good. It's good. Let, let's say it this way. Next, next slide. I think we grumble when we judge the future by the present. The, 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 the philosophical idea behind this is despair. The internal conviction that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday. Resurrection doesn't allow that. Resurrection as a doctrine does, if it's just a bullet point, but resurrection is a fundamental way of seeing the world. It doesn't allow for that. Resurrection says, if you were wrong about death, what else could you be wrong about? You never know when new creation can burst forth in the middle of this one. You never know what new thing God will do tomorrow to change your whole trajectory of everything you're doing. You never know. The, 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 the psychological word for this is to freeze the present. Freeze the present. The idea is, is that this pain I'm in will never go away. And, and let's just admit it, right? It's just in us to freeze the present, right? Like, heck, if we get a bad enough cold, four days into that cold, we're thinking, I'll never breathe again. My breathing days are over, right? Or maybe heartbreak's a better example. Remember the first breakup? Remember your first breakup, right? I do. I remember the first girl that broke up with me. For sure, I remember. And it was mutual. And don't you think anything less than that? We talked about it. It wasn't working, right? But I was all busted up about it. She was seemed okay, you know? And they call it heartache, but it's actually gut ache. It hurts here, you know? I was pouting, which is always attractive, you know? I was pouting and grumbling and, Oh, God, I love her so much. I'll never find anybody. It was a disaster. You know, I was 14. 
right? <laughs> My dad picks me up from school, you know, and I get in his car and I'm pouting. Drums. Right? And my dad, he said, hey, what's the matter with you? And if you've ever parented a teenager, what did I say? Nothing. I said, nothing. My dad said, really? Then tell your face that. Because I can't see into your heart, but I can see your face. And if your face is any indication of what's going on in your heart, there's a problem. So if there's really no problem, then your face is broken. So fix your flipping face. We get home, like an hour later, I'm still pouting, you know. Dad comes in my room, he says, hey, you gonna tell me or not? I said, dad, she broke up with me. It was mutual. I hurt so bad. My dad looked at me and he said, boy, are you crying over a girl? I was like, yeah, dad. Hmm. He said, hang on, I'll be right back. Comes back with the smallest potted plant. It was a potted plant I could hold like this. A little sprig, you know. He says, an object lesson. And I didn't know what he was going to do. New life, new beginnings, hope, small thing. Uh-uh. I didn't know what he was going to do. I'm holding this potted plant with this little thing, you know. And he said, the object lesson is this. If you're going to cry over a girl, at least cry in the plant so your tears will do something. <laughs> God, you're embarrassing. And you know he was right. Three weeks later, new girl. Forget her, right? You can't freeze the present. Let's say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we forget life's a marathon and not a sprint. This is a quote from the great Franciscan monk Richard Rohr, who has a PhD in saying profound things. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10 so, so, so why do we grumble? We, we, we grumble when, when we don't remember. We, we grumble when we compare. We grumble when we don't settle that God's been good to us. We grumble when we freeze the present. And we grumble when we overestimate what was possible in one year, but underestimate what was possible, what would be possible in 10. Now, if, if you're the type of person that listens to the first three minutes of a message, and then you zone out, and then when you feel the message winding down, you come back, Now's your time. This is your moment. And if you're thinking, oh no, she's going to ask me in the car what that man said. And I have no idea. Let me save your life here. (laughs) At least I'll save lunch. (laughs) Here's the entire message in one statement. Next slide. No grumbling. Shine like stars. When we choose to do all things without grumbling or disputing. That is when we shine. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. Like if your only thought is, I love that, I agree with him. Okay, bit disappointed, right? If your thought is, I hated that, I disagree with you, you also have missed the point. Plus, I'd love to hear your case for why we need more grumbling, but nonetheless... Um, sermons are not meant to be agreed with or disagreed with. They're not meant to be evaluated in the amount of time it took to deliver them. Great sermons are meant to be wrestled with. They're meant to be discussed. They're meant to be, um, still in your mind Wednesday, you know? So, so let's, let's, let's do this with some questions. Next slide. Is shining as simple as not grumbling? 
Maybe that's, maybe we've made it more complicated. Is shining as simple as not grumbling? Or maybe is shining as simple as keep going? That there's something inspiring about somebody going through something and they're not grumbling. Their face is bright, right? There's nothing inspiring about somebody not going through anything. Like, like if I said, here's my friend, Bill. Bill, tell him about your life. Give him your testimony. And Bill says, hello, everybody. My name's Bill. Let me tell you about my life. It's awesome. My marriage is awesome. My children are awesome. My business is booming. (laughs) And when I think about my past, you know what? I got to tell you, I pretty much nailed that too. (laughs) We don't want to know him. You want to know that guy? You'd be happy for him, sort of. The most inspiring people you know are not the ones not going through anything. The most inspiring people you know are the ones who go through stuff with their head up, their shoulders back, clean hands, pure heart, taste sweet, and they go forward. It's shining as simple as knowing we have enough right now. There's something moving about somebody internally content with their things. Maybe we can say it this way. Next slide. Where do we need to repent from grumbling? Okay, let's just stop and give it its due, right? Have we grumbled this week? I did. I did. And I don't mind telling you what it was about. Whoever invented the roads around Oakland thought no one would ever show up, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this will do. No one will come, right? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And here's the thing, right? I knew I, knew I was going to be preaching on this, right? And it hit me. I'm in a motor car on a paved road driving to a restaurant that's going to cook food for me to have lunch with a friend who who we celebrate each other and there's no stress between us. Um, and I'm still finding that one piece of... I'm complaining about traffic? Come on. That's not shining. That's just dumb. Which leads me to this. I wonder if Paul would have had YouTube how this letter would have been different. Like if he'd have had the internet, you know? In, in one minute, I'm going to have the team play you a video. We've got to set the video up, okay? So I think if Paul would have had the internet, he would have attached this video to this passage and said, if you want to know what shining like stars is, this is it, right? Let me let me explain. The, this is a, a video of a two-year-old girl. She's very, very sick. Uh, she's got tubes all in her nose. She's got prednisone puff, which is when you take too much prednisone for anti-inflammatories, it can puff you. Um, she has been in the hospital 344 consecutive days. She has leukemia. She's awaiting a bone marrow transplant, which tells you her mother has been in the hospital 344 consecutive days. If anybody, if anybody had a right to complain about their lot in life. It is this little girl or the mother, but they don't. Uh, they sing you a song. Let me show you two things before you show the video. One, she's obviously looking off camera to get the signals from her mother. The mother must be the greatest mother on the earth. That's one. Second, at the 23 second mark, she's going to say something that sounds like baby garble, but it's not baby garble. Um, let me tell you what she says so you can hear it. She says, this is really awesome. This is really awesome. And so I think if Paul would have had the internet. He would have attached this video. And so if you want to know what Shining Like Stars is, check this out. Let me back off and let this girl sing you a 54-second song.
Yeah. And what was the last thing we were going to grumble about? Shine like stars. So my brothers and sisters of Livermore and New Beginnings Church, may you not just be people who are on your way to heaven when you die. May you not just be people who are seeking to be fundamentally doctrinally right. May you be people who fulfill scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. May you be people who bring heaven to earth. May resurrection not be something you simply believe in, but something that fundamentally shifts the way you see your whole world. May you be happy by choosing to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day and your week. I love you. I love my relationship with you. Until I see you next time, more than anything, shine like stars, everybody. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.